Good morning. Welcome to Crestview Inspiration, a ministry of encouragement from Crestview Baptist Church in Canton, North Carolina. We want to share with you sweet songs of worship and an uplifting word from the scriptures. While you listen, may the spirit of grace flow from heaven into your heart and home, right where you are. Hey everybody, this is Jordan Page. These two songs I'm going to sing today both talk about peace. And I've just been dwelling on God's word and how it says that he gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And as we look around the world and see the chaos, my prayer is that we just listen to the words of this song and rest in his peace today. Peace. 
friend. I'm glad to be back with you today, and I'm going to be back in the 11th chapter of Daniel. This anointed worship music and the atmosphere of worship prepares our hearts to receive God's Word, and I'm so thankful for our musicians, and I pray you sense the presence of the Lord's Holy Spirit through this worship music. And so today we're continuing the study of prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 11, seeking to understand the prophecies of the Holy Scriptures and discern the times that we are presently in, the times also that are coming to pass in the future. Prophecy from the Bible prepares us to understand what God is doing and prepares us to recognize God's purposes in our lives. The prophecies in this very important chapter of God's Word from Daniel have been given to us for a purpose, to study and seek wisdom in understanding what God has done in the past what God is doing currently in the world and in our lives, and what God will do in the future in the world. If God is sovereign over the universe as creator and ruling king over all, and he is, 
then we would be wise to seek him and seek to understand and apply his prophetic word to our lives. As I've indicated before, this important chapter I've divided into several sections to be studied over the course of several weeks. Last week, we saw prophetic markers of God's sovereign plan for the world through the clash of the kingdoms of the north and the south with the rising and falling of their respective leaders. We saw that God has given us prophetic markers to point to the time of the end and prepare us for what's coming. One of the primary prophetic markers that we must heed in this passage is the nation of Israel. The events surrounding this little nation in the world and in today's teaching, we're going to see Israel assaulted in persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes IV that foreshadows the figure of the coming Antichrist who will turn against Israel and will turn against all believers in Christ around the world. Ultimately, after the sequence of kingdoms from Daniel's time to the time of the end, we will see the unveiling of the future kingdom of the Antichrist, whose rule occurs during the time of the seven-year tribulation. This time yet in the future is where the man of sin will be revealed, who will be headquartered in Israel, and especially Jerusalem. So in this prophetic passage we're studying, the action drives to the end of time, with the rise of this world ruler who is called the beast in Revelation and who takes control by cruel self-will. In fact, we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul gives us a foreshadowing as well. He said, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, the apostasy, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this future dictator, this cruel world ruler, will be unveiled specifically in verses 36 through 45, but his prototype is disclosed here in today's passage, verses 21 through 35. For study purposes... I've made divisions of this extremely important chapter into these divisions. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, spiritual warfare. Verses 5 through 12, God's sovereignty. Verses 13 through 20, God's prophetic markers. Verses 21 through 35, the prefigure of the Antichrist. Verses 36 through 39, unveiling of the Antichrist. And verses 40 through 45, the final end. So follow along if you can. In verses 21 through 35, in God's holy word, says this, And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies 
shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both of these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. But it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Friend, the prefigure of the coming Antichrist appears right here in this passage. How can we recognize the coming Antichrist? There are seven prophetic clues from this ancient Seleucid king that enable us to recognize the coming of the Antichrist. Let me share those prophetic clues with you. Number one, the prefigure of the Antichrist is a vile person. The person we see in verse 22 is the brother to Seleucus IV, who was poisoned by his tax collector, Heliodorus. His name is Antioch Epiphanes, the figure who foreshadows the coming Antichrist. Antiochus was an ambitious and aggressive man who's called a vile person here by the scriptures. As we study this man, we saw also in the earlier chapter in Daniel 8, he rose as the little horn who would stop the worship of God in the temple of Jerusalem. Here he arises as a violent dictator who will kill many people and rule as God in the temple of Jerusalem. He names himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which actually means manifest or illustrious one, making himself like deity deserving of worship. His coins that he minted we see today, the added inscription Theos, which in Greek means God. So when combined with his name Epiphanes, we arrive at the self-given name illustrious God, or God Manifest, a self-appointed title that caused the kingdom to regard him as a God to be worshipped. This echoes what we anticipate based on the prophecy of what the Antichrist will do when he eventually takes the reins of power in the world. He will make himself God to be worshipped by the world. Antiochus enthroned himself in the desecrated temple to be worshipped as God in 168 B.C. And on every major coin he minted, he claimed divine honors for himself. This leader who uses deceit and intrigue pictures the coming Antichrist who will do the same thing. And we're going to see the cruelty that's evident in his reign when we see the persecution that he launches against the Jewish nation. The second prophetic clue is the prefigure of the Antichrist used sinister schemes to advance his kingdom. 
the scripture says, and after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. The Bible says that the scripture says he seized the kingdom by intrigue, which is fulfilled by the way he manipulated the Roman leaders to give him the throne in Syria instead of the rightful heir, which was Demetrius, his poisoned brother's son or his nephew. So he manipulated the Roman government to give him the throne, and he took the throne by deceit and manipulation. But secondly, not only did he rise to the throne in 175 B.C. by intrigue, he also took Ptolemy VI, who was Cleopatra's son, prisoner when the armies of Egypt and Seleucid met for battle. In 173 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes utterly defeated the troops of Ptolemy VI under the walls of Pelusium, which is in northern Egypt, which he took and retained after he had pulled back from the rest of Egypt. In essence, Antiochus and his army overpowered the Egyptian army, thus fulfilling the prophecy, with the force of a flood they shall be swept away from him. This young man, Ptolemy VI, named Philometor, which in Greek means Ptolemy, lover of his mother, was his nephew, and he placed him under his guardianship and went back to Antioch, his home base. The Egyptians then placed Philometor's brother, Physcon, upon the throne of Egypt after giving up hope that Philometor would be able to rule again. In the scripture, when it says the prince of the covenant in verse 22, it's referring to this young young man, Philometor. Gleason Archer writes, On learning this, Epiphanes craftily intervened on behalf of Ptolemy Philometor, his royal prisoner. In other words, learning when they put his brother in power in Egypt, uh, Epiphanes mounted an expeditionary force against Physcon's government in order to reestablish Philometor on his throne as Antiochus's ally rather than his adversary. As the price of his help in expelling Physcon, Antiochus made a treaty of friendship and alliance with Philometor aimed at gaining a foothold in Egypt itself and ultimately uniting the two kingdoms under his own authority. The deceit used to assume power and advance his kingdom points to the manner of rule in which we one day will see the Antichrist act in the future. Antiochus used sinister schemes to advance his kingdom. The third prophetic clue is the prefigure of the Antichrist garnered support through political bribery. The scripture says, He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and the riches. He shall devise plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. In other words, we see in history Antiochus entered Egypt and plundered it, and he also entered the eastern provinces all the way to the region of Bactria, which is modern-day Afghanistan and Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. These successful campaigns to gather plunder were accomplished by his general, Eucratides, who went in to the Central Asian provinces and gathered a tremendous amount of money and wealth. Then, in a reversal of what prior rulers had done, he began to hand out wealth to the people in his kingdom who were poor. In essence, Antiochus was the first Robin Hood. 
rob the rich, and give to the poor. Thus he gained favor with the people, and he prefigures the Antichrist in the sense that he gained the favor of the people so he could rule. So thus the Antichrist will do. He will be highly regarded by the vast majority of the world population. Number four, the prophetic clue is the prefigure of the Antichrist has a heart bent on evil. We see this in verses 25 through 28. The scripture says, Both king's heart shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. But it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. He had a heart that was bent on evil. He was evil to the core. This picture of Antiochus and actually his nephew king, Ptolemy Philometer, sitting at the table of negotiation and friendship, history tells us, which they did. At the same time, they were simultaneously planning evil and planning and plotting against each other how they could overcome each other. This describes perfectly the character of the man of sin who will rise up one day. But the beautiful truth is right here, that God's long-term plan will be executed at the divinely appointed time. In other words, the end will not come until it's time. There's a timeline that God has that we can count on. And friend, that's a truth you can hang your hat on. God's timeline is perfect, and God will not allow anything to happen outside of his timeline. The fifth prophetic clue is the prefigure of the Antichrist shall be enraged against the Holy people of God. When we look at verses 28 through 30, we see that Antiochus met bitter opposition in Egypt. When he attempted to invade Egypt by military force, in fact, he met uh, in battle at Alexandria, to be precise, which is on the northern coast on the Mediterranean. And he was met by the Roman Navy, which would have been called in by the Egyptian government to help defeat him. And there his hand was forced to retreat back to Syria. So Antiochus was angered by his defeat in Egypt and also by the attempts of Jason, a rebel leader in Jerusalem, to retake the nation's government of Israel. So he marched against Jerusalem. In the meantime, Jason in Jerusalem, acting on a false rumor that Antiochus had been killed in the battle in Egypt, prepared to execute a coup d'etat with a thousand soldiers. But unknown to him, Antiochus was very much alive and bearing down on Jerusalem with his massive army in a state of rage. This fulfills what is written in the prophecy at the appointed time. He, that's Antiochus, shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. There's the Romans. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant, and do damage. Here we see when Antiochus arrived in Jerusalem in rage with his massive army, he took all the forces of Jason and numerous people started killing indiscriminately. And there was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants in the space of three days. 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death and the same number being sold into slavery. This cruel persecution defines the coming Antichrist. His total disregard for human life, particularly believers in Jesus Christ, describes the approaching world dictator. 
which we will look at in greater detail next week. The sixth prophetic clue, and perhaps the most important one, is the prefigure of the Antichrist shall desecrate the temple with an abomination. The picture we see in this passage describes in detail an event that is going to transpire again in the future when the future world dictator assumes control. The Bible says in verse 31, And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. This is critical, friend. This abomination that causes desolation, we need a word of explanation. This event is a primary marker of the end times and of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He told us in Matthew 24 that when we see this abomination that causes desolation, we better get ready. In fact, verse 15, Matthew 24, Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What exactly is the abomination? Here in this prophecy, we see that Antiochus, who decides to rob the holy temple of all its golden vessels and other sacred objects and to annihilate the Jewish faith by placing a statue of Zeus in the holy temple of God and sacrificing a pig, a highly offensive and unclean animal, upon the pagan altar that he erected in the temple, commits an abomination before God. According to Second Maccabees, an important historical source, Antiochus intended to rename the temple the Temple of Zeus Olympias, consecrating it to his pagan god. So an idolatrous altar was consecrated there and pagan sacrifices made. That is the abomination. And this defilement of God's holy temple took place on December the 16th, 168 B.C. This desecration of the second temple echoes what happened to the desecration of the first temple in the evil days of King Ahaz when the scriptures tell us in 2 Kings 10 that he installed a pagan altar as well around 720 B.C. and offered pagan sacrifices upon it. We can see one day in the not-too-far future, I believe, there will be another abomination in the newly rebuilt third temple by another ruler. Keep your eyes peeled, friend. This is going to happen. In fact, it's going to happen soon, it appears. And the last prophetic clue is the prefigure of the Antichrist discloses the spiritual war between the saints and the satanic ruler. The scripture says, Those, in verse 32, who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand, that's God's children, shall instruct many. They're going to seek God in God's word and God's ways. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. They're going to suffer. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. The ungodly Jews who succumbed to the lure of wealth and power cooperated with Antiochus in the desecration of the temple. But the godly uh, Jews noted here is the people who know God. They fought for the holy worship of God. 
and for the restoration of the second temple for God's holy purposes. Those who rose up did so under the leadership of Mattathias, the leading priest in the hills of Ephraim. His six sons, including Judas Maccabeus, from where we get the term Maccabean revolt, assisted him in raising a military and a guerrilla-type army to stand against Antiochus. They did this in 168 B.C., and they succeeded through the uprising to overturn the wickedness of Antiochus and the godly who could not tolerate the defilement of the temple exactly four years to the day when the pagan abomination occurred, rededicated the temple of God to the worship of God on December 16th, 164 B.C. This moment is still celebrated today among the Jewish people. It is called Hanukkah, the Jewish festival commemorating the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Maccabean Revolt. This celebration is also known today as the Festival of Lights. And so what happened to wicked Antiochus Epiphanes, the prefigure of the coming Antichrist? Historians tell us that he was struck with some strange illness in his bowels. And so the ungodly man's body became swarmed with worms. And while he was still living in anguish and pain, his flesh rotted away and he died. And the army officers around him in the army noted that his sickness was so bad that it it let off a stench because of his decaying flesh. He died a miserable death, apparently struck by the hand of the living God, according to Jewish historians. This pictures as well the eventual end of the future Antichrist, but we will look at that next week. Let's offer a word of prayer. Father, thank you for prophecy. Thank you for your word that is inspired, that it is so instructional and so helpful for us to see your timeline. We don't know all about it, but God, you've given us enough to know the successive world kingdoms are going to rise and that one person's going to arise at the time of the end who's going to take dominion over the world and persecute your children. So God, prepare us, strengthen us. God, give us wisdom to understand and to see that if you fulfilled all this in the past, that currently what's happening is in your hands as sovereign God, and what's going to happen in the future will be according to your appointed timeline. And so, God, we want to give you glory, and we want to give you thanks, and we want to pray that you strengthen us to serve you in these days that we're in with a whole heart and clean hands and a pure heart. And so strengthen our faith in these days and give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, walk in faith today knowing that God holds your life in His hand and you can trust Him for your future. We must keep our eyes on Jesus Christ despite all the difficult circumstances swirling around us and know beyond all doubt that God has a long-term plan and that it will be fulfilled in its appointed time. So until next week, God bless you. Thank you for listening to Crestview Inspiration. May this ministry touch your heart, encourage you, and strengthen you. And may the Lord bless you in your spiritual walk this week. So on behalf of the Crestview family, we invite you back next week, Friday at 10 a.m. on WPTL as we spread the good news of Jesus.